Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. We continue in this gathering with our exploration of the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. Those three chapters are you know, well worth reading, but we're focusing in on the first eight blessings, and this week finds us with blessing number three. Uh, please join me in prayer that God's word would go deep into our hearts and that we would live this beautiful life that Jesus invites us into. Jesus, it's so easy for us to let all kinds of things just blitz by and escape our notice, but don't let that happen with these words of yours to us. And these are your words, Jesus, that you spoke to this crowd and no doubt on many other occasions as well. Again, Lord, we pray that we would become in spirit, that we would choose to mourn, and we would choose, Lord Jesus, to follow you into meekness. In your power, in your strength, in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Omid, and I will be reading from Matthews chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are for the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Thank you. If I'm in the mood to simply plop a movie on and sit down and plop myself on the couch to watch, one of my favorite repeat movies is Princess Bride, and I'm sure that's true for some number of you, but for the uninitiated, it's essentially a fairy tale mashup. And there's a, a series of, of scenes there where there's some wannabe criminals who have kidnapped a princess and they take their hostage off into the night on a sailing ship. And during the night, though, uh, one of the, the bandits, a little bit nervous, he's, he's kind of looking over the stern of the boat and thinks he sees out, out there in the moonlight the sails of another boat coming up in the dark. And so he turns to his leader, Vizzini, and asks, Are you sure nobody's follow us? To which Vizzini responds, oh, that, would, that would be inconceivable. Now, the swordsman isn't particularly satisfied with this because he's seeing these white sails in the moonlight. And 
turns to Vicini again. Are you sure nobody's follow us? To which Vicini responds immediately, as I just said, that would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. Well, of course, someone is indeed following them. And as the scenes progress, Vicini keeps sputtering this word, inconceivable. Finally, the swordsman, in uh, something of exasperation and just wondering what's going on, he, he turns to Vicini and says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. These last two weeks, we've been following the beginning of Jesus' conversation with the crowds there on the side of the mountain, there in the Gospel of Matthew. You can go read the whole thing, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But we're focusing in on these first few lines that Jesus actually begins this whole conversation, not by talking about rules or directives, but talking about character. Jesus starts out by talking about a certain kind of life, a life that will be lived by people who are connected to Jesus. Jesus begins with a description of this beautiful life, of people who are marked not by anything externally, but who are marked by an internal presence, an internal constitutional character that anyone who is connected to Jesus is actually going to be marked by a poverty of spirit. That people who think that they have what it takes to be good actually don't. Because the kingdom of heaven is actually given to those who know they have nothing, who simply hold out empty hands and ask. And the kingdom of heaven is given freely to them. And that the ones who receive comfort are not the ones who are well-situated and well-off, the, the ones who are secure. Those who receive comfort are, paradoxically, those who mourn. Who mourn their own role in what's gone wrong with the world, what the Bible calls sin who also come alongside others in mourning and grieving and sorrowing with others. And it's these people, the people who are willing to enter into sorrow, who receive comfort. And Jesus then continues by saying, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I have to say, those folks there on the side of the mountain had a huge advantage over us because they at least knew what the word meant. They used it regularly. In, in both Aramaic and Greek, it, it was a pretty common word, actually. Whereas for us, if we even try and guess what the word means, we normally either you know, try and rhyme it with weak, or we imagine maybe the, you know, people who are getting stepped on regularly. But I do not think this word means what we think it means. I've been working on my Spanish language for the last couple of years, slowly, but you know, working on it. And I've rediscovered what I'm sure most of you could have told me already, which is language is best learned in conversation. And because the Bible is a big, long, centuries-long conversation between tons of different people and God, 
let's enter that conversation to figure out what this meekness is that's blessed by Jesus. Well, we discover in the Hebrew Bible that Moses is the meekest man who ever lived. That's what it says. But let's, let's take a minute and just think about this. Was Moses meek when he saw some slaves being oppressed and killed the Egyptian slave master and buried his body in the sand? Was Moses meek when the people of Israel, just weeks after going, coming through the Red Sea, uh, turned from the living God to a golden statue and Moses publicly smashes the Ten Commandments, stone tablets, right in front of everybody? He was not passive. He was not weak. But he was meek. He used the, the strength that he had for, out of love for his people. Similarly, we read that King David is meek. It's the way the Psalms describe him. So was you know, this David who's described as meek is the same David who killed lions and bears with his bare hand defending his sheep. The same David who took on a giant in the enemy army with a slingshot and five stones. David was anything but passive. He was certainly not weak. David was a man after God's own heart who loved deeply and his heart burned to protect those who needed protecting. Turning to the Gospel of Matthew, it's, it's written in Greek, and there's every reason to think that Jesus actually grew up speaking Greek. He was just five miles away from Sepphoris, which was a large majority Greek-speaking city there in Galilee. And so for the Greeks, meekness is a quality of character that's opposite of anger or short-temperedness. The idea is a meek person has power, but is able to use it non-reactively, is able to use that power gently. In fact, Greek goddesses were known for being able to be non-reactive and gentle with their divine powers in relationship to people. But there were other ways the Greeks used this concept of meekness as well. Greek farmers and soldiers and merchants prized a meek horse, not because it's weak, not because it's passive, but because a meek horse had strength it was under control. Greek doctors prized meek medicine, effective medicine without harsh after effects that helped the patient, again, strength under control for the good of others. And Greek sailors prized a meek wind. I happen to know a number of sailors in my family, and I've got to tell you, what you don't want is a really weak, wishy-washy, ever-changing, hey, what do you want to do kind of wind. No, no, no. You want a strong, steady wind. A meek wind. There was a saying that laws should be stern, but judges should be meek, meaning that judges should pay attention to the human beings who are in front of them. That even if the law called for strict punishment, that the judge should be aware of the effect that a strict interpretation of that law might have on, again, the human beings in front of him. 
In truth, kings and rulers and important people in the Greek-speaking world wanted to be seen as meek. Oh, Mr. Big Shot, you are so great and meek, meaning that they used their wealth and their influence to make life better for the people under their care. But the, yeah, here's the point. <laughs> Particularly in the Greek-speaking worlds, meekness was seen as something that people who already had power might aspire to. People who already had the earth might then turn around and use their earth, their wealth, their power, their position, their security, and dribble some of it out for the rest of us. But Jesus is saying that those who are primarily characterized as meekness will inherit the earth. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are on the outside but are meek, are blessed by God and will inherit the earth. And that's very different. In fact, Jesus' pronouncement of blessing on the meek here is essentially a mashup of several lines from Psalm 37, which is a call to not get all worked up about the fortune that seems to come from the aggressive and the self-seeking, right? The people that we normally think of as, well, owning the land, inheriting the earth, the people who make it for themselves. After all, whether you're a socialist or a capitalist, aggression is what is praised. But not so with the people of God. Those who use the power that they have gently are those who will inherit, who are blessed by God. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Those cursed by him shall be cut off. The meek shall inherit the land and shall enjoy abundant shalom. Psalm 37 is a call to not get worked up by the way things appear right now but to trust that God provides for those who use what they have as little as it may be for the sake of others, who are meek with the strength that God provides. It's not just the rich and powerful who can be meek. Everyone has been given life and everything from God himself. So, Live in the land that God has given you to live in and do so meekly. The resources that God gives us are time, our talent, our endurance, our patience, as little or much as it may be in the moment, and nurture those resources meekly, generously and kindly for the sake of the others that God has put in our life. And the promise is that the meek will inherit the earth. All things will be given to those who give as God gives, gently and kindly. Which means literally anything can be a tool to be used meekly and kindly and generously for others to bring shalom and wellness to a place, and, and 
and to ourselves. I years ago heard an urban pastor talk about a plumber he knew who was a huge part of their ministry. Because uh, in that particular neighborhood in Philadelphia, it was one of those places that something goes down and, and you call the cops, they, they're not coming all that soon. They, they may not come at all. And Lord knows it's hard to get a plumber. And if you do get a plumber, they're going to rip you off and they're going to be expensive. But see, this plumber was a Christian. This plumber had skills. He, he was a good plumber. And so as that group of Christians began to love and serve in that neighborhood, this particular guy took his skills and began to put them to use meekly. When he'd get a call, he'd show up, and he'd show up on time. And he'd do what needed to be done, and not more than that. And he would do it well. And people started passing along word that this, this was a plumber. You could actually get what needed to be done, and you could actually afford it. And if you had a hard time paying, which a lot of people in that neighborhood did, he'd work with you. He'd trust you. He used his power, not to put pressure on people, but to serve and love and give and create well-being. He was meek with his skills. And his presence as a plumber in that community of Christians was a huge part of their witness in that place as they began to get to know people and talk about this Jesus who was meek with his power, who used his amazing, abundant, infinite power gently and well and lovingly. Andy Crouch in his truly amazing book, Strong and Weak, describes how the presence of Angela, his niece, who was really quite profoundly disabled and utterly unable to care for herself, that the caregivers in her life, which was her family and extended family, their ability to use their strength to care for her, even though it was deeply costly, it was sacrificial, both from her parents and again from the extended family, that that sacrificial use of their self-giving love to Angela gave all of them a profound life that they would have never experienced had they selfishly withdrawn themselves from Angela's need. And isn't that what we see in Jesus? That Jesus, though he was God himself and utterly powerful, did not hold back his power from our need, but emptied himself out, took the form of a servant, endured a slave's death on the utterly shaming cross, went into death for us, <laughs> which he did not have to do. Who among us has died for others? None, because we're all alive and listening to this talk. We have not begun to plumb the depths of what Jesus has done for us in meekness. And he invites us to follow him every step of the way. 
so that we would experience his life with him to gently and kindly use our gifts in the service of others and through Jesus inherit all things. Friends, that's an unbelievable promise if it were not for the sake that we have seen Jesus, seen him in his resurrection power at work in our lives. And it's in that hope of the new heavens and the new earth given to us that we can put foot ahead of foot, step by step, with our lovely, lovely Jesus with us every step of the way, trusting his promise that the meek will inherit the earth because he said so. Amen.